0: Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Enjoy. Identity politics is a defining issue of our time. It is common to see people or representatives of organisations claiming to represent groups of people based on specific characteristics such as race, sex, gender, sexuality and age. Many now see themselves as part of communities rather than themselves as individuals. But what explains the rise of identity politics and what has happened to individualism in politics today? Have we ever been individuals... And can our best political interest be served by viewing society as a collection of group, as a collection of individuals or as a collection of groups? I'm here with Mark Glendening, who is head of cultural affairs at the Institute of Economic Affairs to discuss this. Welcome, Mark. Mark, could you briefly explain the origins of identity politics for our listeners?
1: Identity politics are, I would argue, linked to all collectivist uh, movements. They're an attempt to define individual human beings, um, first and foremost, as part of larger entities. Um, we're seen as the bearers of roles rather than people who have um, agency, who are autonomous agents um, and what the identitarian uh, groups or movements are doing are attempting to say that we are in reality uh, shaped by social genetic or in some cases uh, with religious uh, movements um, shaped by supernatural uh, Forces. I think the key point to make um, here is that in fact groups are a fantasy. Uh, They don't actually exist in um, reality. They're a product of the imagination. The fundamental ontological reality is that we are individual human beings. Now we might come together on a contingent basis, form associations, cooperate. Uh, with other people, um, form political movements, uh, support football clubs, or whatever it happens to be. But ultimately, those forms of association are contingent, and they are dependent upon um, individuals being prepared to engage in this kind of Uh, form of association. And what identity politics attempts to do is to first of all claim that we are first and foremost um, ontologically part of these uh, groups, that we're not really individuals, and secondly to force us to to live as if we were actually part of groups. It's what um, you know. The Austrian economist Friedrich von Hayek um, uh, described as atavistic politics, uh, primitivist politics. He he argued that socialism, fascism, all of these sort of collectivistic doctrines were really an attempt to force human beings uh, in the modern era to live as if they were part of. Uh, communes um, sort of Viking uh, communities um, whereby all rewards and on the other hand restrictions and punishments were meted out determined by a central authority within the group mm-hmm. within the society um, and these would be determined politically rather than through the spontaneous order, the market, people interacting on a casual and voluntary basis
0: um groups you know which formed to campaign for civil rights and are understandably defined by characteristics such as race, sex, or sexuality. Uh, and, and I think, you know, these are, they are the, the beginnings of identity politics in the mid-20th century. Um, surely, you know, these groups have served a useful purpose in, you know, in campaigning for equal political rights.
1: Well, I think we have to be careful here. We have to make a distinction between um, groups or movements such as what we're referred to in the 1960s and 70s as the new social movements uh, and the type of identity politics the contemporary new left or the culture control left as I call them are seeking to impose today. So for example the the campaign for uh, homosexual equality was campaigning for the equal rights of uh, gay people to engage in the type of sexuality they wanted to engage in at a time when that was actually illegal. Um, So they had a very specific and liberal objective, which was to enable um, people to lead their own lives sexually as they wanted to. Um, This is quite different from the identity politics of today, which is an attempt to first of all um, establish special privileges, not legal equality, but special privileges for, for particular groups created through new left theory, and that that in turn then imposes a whole series of obligations, on individuals who are outside of that group Mm. so hence for example in law you now have the concept of protected characteristics which impose certain sort of obligations say in terms Mm. of speech on people who are outside or don't have those protected characteristics whereas people who are defined as having them um, can say things that those outside cannot. So it's not about actually fighting for legal equality in the same way that say the suffragettes were mm. fighting for female mm. uh, legal and political equality in the late 19th or early 20th century.
0: Mm. Well I think that's a very important distinction. I think some people may get lost in that. I may not see the difference as you know as my question sort of alluded to. But what is the philosophy behind identity politics that you know has got us to the situation where we are today? I think you have to see identity politics
1: um, as a reaction to the European Enlightenment. Essentially, the European Enlightenment and associated uh, movements, I would claim the Reformation uh, was an early manifestation uh, of the move towards a more liberal society in which all individuals were seen as being fundamentally equal uh, and as beings who, because of their nature, uh, their capacity to engage in uh, rational cognition, uh, their autonomy, um, were to be awarded the same political and legal rights as others. A whole series of movements um, have not wanted that to happen, have reacted against uh, the fundamental change that took place in the West as a result of that philosophical and political revolution. The first identity sort of politics movement, in a way, can be seen as authoritarian Christians who were the sort of the backbone of the counter-enlightenment who wanted a return Mm. to a pre-modern state of affairs uh, whereby human beings were seen to be part of a hierarchical chain of being from god through monarchs peasants yeah uh, down to the to the animal kingdom they wanted it fundamentally a restoration of the feudal and inegalitarian uh, type of societies that existed uh, in the medieval world. But then from onwards from that you've had a series of counter, other counter-enlightenments. I mean, I, I would argue that Marxism uh, was an early um, identity politics movement and that it sought to claim that society was based upon two fundamental groups of people identified through uh, their economic mm. uh, status. The proletariat and the
0: bourgeoisie, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and then I think you, the, 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 there was the fascist uh, counter-enlightenment, uh, which was also an attempt, albeit different, uh, to... Um, uh, imposed the idea that society was actually a series of groups who were engaged in a will to power, uh, um, and so you then have, you know, for example, the the, the anti-Semitic uh, politics of Nazism and other forms of fascism, which portray all Jewish people as part of some sort of conspiracy to exploit and to enslave. Uh, the Aryan uh, people. And I think the new left today, the counter-cultural or the, the, the um, uh, culture-control left rather, um, today are the successors really of the more fascistic way of looking at society as actually a series of of groups, not just two combatant groups. Mm. Um, uh, And there's an analogy here with the fascist idea of the corporate state, uh, whereby people would be represented uh, not through uh, the liberal political process whereby everybody would have the right to vote, Uh, they would all have the right to speak their mind uh, and to engage in the political process, as individuals. Um, The new left, like the fascists of the 30s, are attempting uh, to uh, organise us, catalysts into identity groups who will then be represented uh, by, um, by leaders, by people who are appointed or chosen by the ideology to represent entire categories of people. So all women are seen as being fundament- having fundamentally the same interest. Um, all people who are from ethnic minorities are defined as being one and the same. Mm. Uh, so there's a great analogy here, I think, between what is going on now uh, and what was happening, albeit in a very different context, in the 1930s. What we're seeing is a new uh, counter Uh, Enlightenment a new reaction to the rationalist um, ideas um, that were the product of the European uh, Enlightenment. What we're seeing now is actually a descent into a post-rational society. Mm. And the belief that we are fundamentally part of groups, which, as I said at the beginning, don't actually exist in reality is one manifestation of that irrationality uh, that Western societies, including our own, are in danger of of descending into.
0: I think that's fascinating. Postmodernists claim that power structures suppress groups of people. You know that can be based on you know white people suppressing people who are not white, uh, men suppressing women, and they justify identifying people uh, in groups for that reason. But isn't claiming to represent an individual um, who may not subscribe to that group's political persuasion, even though they fit into the characteristics they claim to represent, is that not also an abuse of power? Because representation is a very powerful thing. all the postmodernists, therefore, the real suppressors, if someone is being hijacked by an organization with no legitimacy other than the fact that they claim and claim to represent a certain person just because of, say, the color of their hair or their eyes or their skin or their sexual orientation. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and this is why postmodernism uh, in its political context is so fundamentally dangerous. Um, And it's based uh, not only on the irrational claim uh, that there are groups of people, there are a priori uh, groups of of people rather than individuals, but it's also based upon a completely irrational uh, conception of power so that whereas the liberal rationalist view of power is that it is the product of empirically verifiable acts uh, and legislative powers that exist in reality and can be seen and proved to exist postmodernism has paved the way for this type of uh New left um, and fascistic uh, politics by arguing that power is some sort of mysterious, ineffable force that we are asked to believe entire categories of people with so called privilege, um, be they men or white people or, you know, heteronormatives or whoever the various bogey characters. Uh, uh, the, the, the various bogey uh, groups, um, the New Left have um, identified that these groups, uh, as with the you know capitalist uh, Jews that the Nazis identified in a, in a different context, we we're asked to believe that these groups somehow, in an age of legal and political equality, exert uh, total power. Over the society and that therefore the state must have more power in order to bring about a fundamental redistribution of power between these groups. Mm. So what we have here is a power grab, um, uh, an attempt at a power grab based upon a fundamentally uh, irrational uh, mystical uh, interpretation of reality. Mm. So, postmodernism is seen often, superficially, as being a sort of let it all hang out, anybody can define reality however they want to, hence, you know, uh, the eccentric notion of transgenderism, whereby a biological man uh, can claim to be at one and the same time. A woman. So this is all seen as being uh, very liberatory and superficially liberal. Um, But actually, the reality of postmodernism is a political strategy designed to undermine uh, the fundamental principles upon which Western liberal societies have been based in order to justify a reconstruction of Western society according to very, very different and highly illiberal mm. principles.
0: Mm. Do you think individualism will beat, you know, identity, collectivism, the way we're seeing it now um, in the future? Is it, is it, is it lost?
1: I think we might be in a situation whereby things have to get worse before they get better. Um, At the moment the forces of liberalism philosophically, uh, putting to one side of course the Institute of Economic Affairs and other like-minded progressive bodies, uh, are very uh, much at the margins within our society. We are going through a um, Philosophical uh, transformation, I fear, whereby irrational ideas um, are becoming uh, culturally as well as politically very dominant. Now, I think what will happen is that either that that's, that will lead to our our society descending into chaos, um, into significant economic decline as a consequence of uh, these ideas Uh, and then there will be hopefully a a new enlightenment um, as a result whereby people will come back to rationalist principles. Societies that seek to cut off human consciousness and Rational powers of cognition from the objective realities um, of of existence don't tend to do very well. You know, we've seen uh, what tends to happen in societies based upon um, a refusal to recognise reality. Mm. Ultimately, it tends to, to 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 lead to various types of disaster and decline. So the task, as I see it, for progressive liberals, be they from the centre-right or the centre-left, is to stay true to those principles, to keep articulating them, um, in the hope that eventually uh, there will be uh, groups of people, tendencies within the society um, who are looking for an alternative uh, to where they have been led to.
0: Well, there is optimism in that, but it's very, very interesting. Thank you very much. That's Mark Glendening, who is Head of Cultural Affairs at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the IA podcast on Podbean, Spotify or Apple. We also upload our podcast on our YouTube channel, IA London. If you want to help contribute to the IA's digital output, please support us on Patreon, where you can benefit from exclusive membership perks whilst helping us continue to produce stimulating educational output. To become an online patron, click the link in the show notes.